0: bring greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make every great path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Today, we shall be looking at the prerequisites for baptism with fire. But before we go into that, we'll do a review of what we discussed last week. Last week, we defined baptism with fire as the immersion or submersion of the Christian in trials, tribulations, temptations, afflictions, deprivations, hardship, persecution, and so on and so forth. But where he emerges from that immersion with his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, intact and stronger. We also said that baptism with fire seeks to prove the genuineness of our faith. It seeks to prove the authenticity of those who are to be empowered by God for the work of ministry. Satan wants to prove that these people are not worthy. God wants to prove that these people are worthy. And so we have that contest as it were. And when we have been proven that we are worthy, we have been authenticated by God, we are then empowered like Lord Jesus Christ. He was filled with the Holy Ghost when the Holy Ghost came upon him. But after he went through his baptism with fire initially, that is the temptation in the wilderness, the Bible says he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. Baptism with fire is also to bring us to the place where We can declare to Satan that our loyalty to God cannot and will not change. We also noted why we were teaching this. Besides the fact that it is a fundamental doctrine, we said that it is so that we can be prepared for the inevitable onslaught of Satan. Because we know that the Lord Jesus Christ told Peter that Satan had obtained permission to sift him as wheat. The same goes for us because God has good plans for us. God wants to use us in his vineyard to bring the kingdom of Satan to its knees to rescue souls from that kingdom. We have that onslaught from Satan where he says, I want to seek these people that you want to give this authority to. So we are being prepared for such inevitable things. The Lord is also alerting us to the imminence of such temptation, attacks persecution, hardship of things that Satan would want to use to rubbish our faith so that we will be able to stand, like he told the church in Smyrna, be faithful. He will put some of you in prison. He will even kill some of you, but be faithful till the end. So we have been warned. We have been alerted to Satan's plans so that we will not be ignorant of these things. Finally, we are teaching this so that you can overcome Satan's ploys, tricks, antiques, strategies, wiles, Finally, we saw how baptism of fire can occur. We spoke about being insulted and you are not talking back. You are not trying to defend yourself. Even when you are lied against, you leave everything for God to vindicate you. We spoke of inconveniences without us having to murmur, complain, or grumble. We spoke of sticking to unpleasant situations like an unpleasant marriage, yet not considering divorce or and remarriage. We saw the three Hebrew kids, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they were challenged to bow to an idol. And they said, no, we cannot bow to this idol. And they were thrown into the fire, but God rescued them. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 45, when you go through fire, God says he'll be with you. When you pass through the flood, it will not overflow you. God knows that we will go through these things. And he's telling us beforehand that don't worry, you will not be abandon you will not be forsaken he said i will not abandon you i will not forsake you so recognize that our god will not abandon him no matter what it is that you are going through we spoke of praying for those who despitefully use us in spite of the fact that they are misbehaving we continue to pray for them the bible says we should pray for our enemies we should feed them we should give them food we should give them water to drink if they are thirsty the bible also tells us that when we are persecuted for the sake of the gospel we should rejoice so we see that when these things happen, we know that we are going through the baptism of fire. Peter said we should not think that it is something strange when we face these fiery trials, but that we should know that it is because we are children of God. That's why we face these things. That brings us to what we want to discuss today. Seeing the kind of challenges that we face, the kind of things that can happen to a Christian. And many of these things, I'm going to tell you the upfront now, they are not easy. But there must be something that we ought to have so that we will overcome. When we are saved, God gives us everything that we need to succeed. Everything that we need in this life to make the best of everything we are going to face. And so as we look at the prerequisites for baptism with fire today, we are looking at those things that God has made available to us so that we will be able to go through the baptism with fire and come out at the other end with our faith intact, with our faith stronger than when we went in. So that will not be like the people that are described in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10, where it says, if in the day of adversity you faint, your strength is small. No, our strength is strong. Our strength is mighty in God. So what's the first thing that we need if we are going to overcome? Number one, we must be dead to self And to the flesh. If we are going to be able to overcome. If we are going to be able to go through the baptism with fire. And not be overwhelmed. Not be drowned. But rather we will emerge stronger than when we went in. With our faith in Christ intact. We must be dead to self and the flesh. When we want to be something. When we want to be known. The challenges of life overwhelm us. But when we are dead to self, when we are dead to the flesh, it is impossible for Satan to overcome us, for life's challenges to overwhelm us. In John chapter 12, from verse 20 to 28. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, There, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it, I will glorify it again. So, the first thing we are going to have to deal with is our flesh, the self life. It must be done away with if we are going to truly, truly, overcome. Otherwise, we are going to have a situation where Satan will use these things and lure us. He would use things that the self-life likes and lure us. The flesh is a euphemism for the sin-loving nature of man. When we say die to the flesh, we are talking of being dead to sin, hating sin. As long as you don't hate sin as God hates sin, you will be tempted and you will make an excuse for sin. So the first thing that you must possess is death to self. The Lord Jesus Christ said, except the corn of wheat dies, it will remain alone. But if it dies, it brings forth many fruit. We are going to be productive spiritually when we are dead to the flesh, when we are dead to self. As long as we are not dead to self, we stand alone. We will be mesmerized by things. That's why you find so many people being deceived, being misled by signs and wonders. Not trying to understand that you can have false signs and wonders, you can have deceptive signs and wonders, You can all these things can happen. It is not every sign and wonder that is from God. The Bible even tells us in the book of Revelation that the prophet of the Antichrist will walk great signs, he will call fire down from heaven that people can see, he will make a statue to speak and give instructions. People will be mesmerized and God is allowing that power to be there so that he can prove those who are truly his and those who are not his. In First John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, the Bible says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the loss of the flesh, the loss of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So, those things... That makes us to be proud. Those things that we love, that we delight in, the good clothes, the new fashion, the desires that we have, the things that we see with our eyes and we must have, those things, the Bible says, they are not of the Father. They are of the world. So we must not love those things. James chapter 4, verse 4, says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. As long as the flesh is alive, you will be hostile to God. In Romans chapter 8, reading from verse 5, the Bible makes it absolutely clear that if a person is in the flesh, he cannot please God. In fact, he is hostile to God. Romans 8 from 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. The carnal mind, that is the man who is still in the flesh, is hostile to God. In verse 8 it says, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Because people are in the flesh, they can never please God, no matter how much they try. In Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, Paul writes, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. I am dead. My flesh has been crucified. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I living, that is the flesh is dead. I live by faith, by putting my trust in the Son of God. I live by depending on the Lord Jesus Christ. My entire being is dependent on Christ, not on myself. So I don't have a like per se. I like what the Lord likes. I hate what the Lord hates. I live by faith. I am dead to the flesh. It's something that we die daily. It's not a once and for all. No, every day. Because every day we wake up, we are confronted with things that seek to draw our attention, to lure us away. I think it's in James chapter 1, where the Bible warns us against temptation. It says, we should be careful that God does not tempt anyone to do evil. God can never, because he himself is not tempted by those things. Neither is he tempted to do evil. He says, and Satan successfully tempts us when our desire, the flesh, is still alive. The self is still alive. And so it is drawn, it is lured away by temptation. And I think I've described that before. If you put a nail In a piece of wood, a magnet is likely to attract the piece of wood because of the nail in it. But if you remove the nail, the magnet can never draw the piece of wood. The thing that draws us to commit sin is the flesh and the self-life. If those things can be killed, we will overcome. So when we are dumped into the baptism with fire, we will always overcome. That was why when... Satan was tempting the Lord to turn stone to bread. Food was not the issue for the Lord. What was the issue for the Lord was, what is my father saying? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is why all these people who are preaching and teaching about money and teaching about the good life and teaching about greatness and all those things, they are not helping you. You need to get to the place where you recognize that it is what God loves that you love. It's what God hates that you hate. You don't act based on your whims and your caprices. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 24, the Bible says, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I've explained this before. If you have a serpent that has laid eggs in your compound and you kill the snake, all right, but you leave the eggs there. The eggs will hatch and they will become worse. They're even going to be more than the one snake that you've killed. The passions and desires are those things that we have grown with over time. When we got born again, the flesh was actually killed. But the passions and desires are the eggs that have been laid there and they are hatching. We have the nature to sin, but we must now kill it. We must go to the cross of Christ and have it crucified. That's why Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. And so he says here now, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh along with his passions and desires. I no longer have a desire of my own. My desire is what God has for me. To do thy will, O Lord. That is all that matters now. And unless we have that as a prerequisite in our lives, we will not be able to overcome the challenges of the baptism with fire. In John chapter 21, 18 to 19, the Lord Jesus Christ warned Peter. He said, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you gathered yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he, that is Peter, would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. If you are not dead to yourself and to the flesh, this kind of warning will scare you. You'll run away. But when you have died to it, you know that, come what may, God will have to help me because I have to overcome it. The second thing that you need is that you must be prayerful. In Matthew chapter 26, when the Lord was about to face his crucifixion, he went to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he took along with him Peter, James, and John. So let me read it from verse 16. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. What was he saying there? He said, look. Peter, yes, I'm praying because I have my own challenges to face. But you watch and pray. He went with three people. But here yeah, he was focusing on Peter. Why? Because Peter's home was very, very imminent. The others were going to face that but for Peter's own it was so imminent. And he was wondering, why are you sleeping? You mean you can't watch? You can't pray for one hour? Temptation is lurking. In Genesis chapter 4, when Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices to God, and Abel's was accepted and Cain rejected, God called Cain why are you angry? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Go and do what is right. He said, look, sin is knocking at the door. His desire is to have you, but you have the capacity to overcome it. That was all Cain needed to do. But instead, he went and was having a conversation with Abel and probably got angry as a result of it and killed Abel. It's the same thing here. To overcome it, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The Lord himself was facing his own and was praying, talking to the father about himself and what he needed to do. But here we have a situation where Peter was not even focusing on the prayer. He was sleeping. Verse 42. Again a second time, he went away and prayed saying, Oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again and prayed the third time saying the same words. There's very little God can do when he's asking you to pray and you're not just doing anything. Eventually we see the carnality in Peter Coming up, in verse 56, the Bible says that when eventually they came to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ, all the disciples forsook him and fled. But there's a note there. Let me read further. Verse 57 now. It says, and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Peter was following the Lord at a distance we are not prayerful the boldness to stand for christ is just not there we end up sitting in the congregation of the enemies of god sitting there and talking with them and engaging in conversation with them and then if we read further from verse 69 to 75 the bible says now peter sat outside in the courtyard this is why the lord was being tried inside this was the same peter who had boasted i'm ready to die for you but you see his boasting was not backed by prayers I've seen many pastors who are boasting. Their boast is not backed by prayers. Now, Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath. I don't know the man. He was swearing. I know. God forbid. I don't know him. I swear, I don't know you. Then, in verse 73, And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. The speech of the Galileans was quite different, and it was easy to know. Your accent betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He denied him. Why did Peter deny the Lord? He wasn't prayed up. He didn't pray. The prayer would have bolstered his faith, would have helped him. Prayer does not change God. Prayers will not stop the baptism with fire. But it will strengthen you in the inner man so that you are able to go through with it. In Luke chapter 18 verse 1, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Men ought always to pray and not to faint or not to give up. So we're supposed to be praying. So number one, you need to die to yourself, you need to die to the flesh. The passions, the dreams you had, all those ambitions that you had before you got born again, you must die to them. The new ambition, if we can call that, that you have is now a vision from God. Whatever it is that God wants you to do, that is what you do. It is no longer what the world wants you to do. The world might say to you, you can be the best architect in the world, but God will say to you, I'm not telling you you are going to be the best of anything. Go and preach the gospel. That's all. And you must give up all those things that you've had. As a way of thinking that this is the best thing for me. You must give those things up and go with Christ. Number two, be prayerful. How do you know when temptation has come? Because it can be very subtle. Eve was sitting down in one corner when Satan came through the serpent and said, has God told you not to eat of any of these trees? say said, no, it was only one tree. The one in the midst, And there were two trees in the midst. And then the devil began to put ideas in her head. And that was it. So we must be prayerful at all times. We must be watchful and prayerful. The third thing that you need to have as a prerequisite is that you must be ready to follow the master all the way. There's no half and half to this thing. You are either following the Lord or you are not following him at all. In Luke chapter 14 from verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple." People were following the Lord, but they were not ready to follow him all the way. They were following him as long as there were miracles and signs and wonders to benefit from. Like we have today, many people go to church as long as there are miracles to benefit from. As long as there's what they consider a good prophecy, you'll be great. You'll win a lottery. You'll travel to America. You'll travel the whole world. They're happy. But the minute you mention that the judgment of God is coming, they say, no, no, something's wrong with that kind of prophecy. God doesn't profess like that. Those are the people he's talking about here. He said, except you hate your parents, your spouse. Your children, your brothers, your siblings. Yes, your own life itself. says, you cannot be my disciple. We must follow the Lord all the way. In verse 27, he says, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I think I've explained this before. During Roman occupation, whenever you saw a man carrying a cross, you were seeing a man going to his own execution. And so what is the Lord saying? He says, are you ready to die? Pick up your cross to show that you are ready to die anytime. His disciples were ready to die. After the Lord had resurrected and had breathed upon his disciples, they became emboldened when the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were ready to die. In fact, they rejoiced when they were flogged. And we know how they were tired, and how they prayed for the people who were killing them. And said, Lord, don't take it to their charge. They don't know what they are doing. Until you are ready to follow the Lord all the way. Not just for signs and wonders, but when suffering comes. When life's challenges come, you are ready to stick with him. Ready to be there with him. Unless that, you're not going to make it. This is for which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost. Whether he has enough to finish it, the foundation, and is not able to finish. All who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You can read the rest. What he's saying here is, have we sat down to count the cost? There is a cost. The baptism with fire is that cost. There's a price to pay. Have you counted the cost of Christianity? Christianity is not a bed of roses. No, there are challenges in it. There are things that you have to do. Are you ready for it? Have you sat down to take stock of what it will cost you to be a Christian? Somebody wrote once, he said, If you were accused before a law court of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence that, to convict you. Now that's a very strong statement and you need to give it a thought. If they say you are a Christian, what are they saying? They're saying, you say you will not bow to any bond except God. Will there be enough evidence to actually convict you? Or will there be proof that you have bowed several times to things that are not even of God? Sit down, count the cost. There is a cost. The baptism with fire comes to draw out that cost and say, this is what you are going to pay. Are you ready to pay that price? Are you ready to do that? Then in John chapter 15, verse 18 to 21, the Lord was warning his disciples from verse 18. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are following the master all the way, the world will hate you. They are not hating you because of you. No, it's nothing personal. They're hating you because of Christ in you. The same Christ in you that is the hope of glory is the same reason why you have been hated. So I ask the question, does the world love you or do they hate you? Because if the world is in love with your message, If the world is in love with the way you are behaving, I tell you the truth, you are not of Christ. Because if you are of Christ, the world will hate you. In verse 19 it says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. And then he continues. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have had no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. He continues to say other things. But the key thing is that if they hated the Lord, they will hate you. So don't take it personally. Don't think there's anything wrong with you. It's because you belong to Christ. That's why the hatred is there. You were born into this enmity. You were born into this war between evil and good. And if indeed you are on the side of good, you will always have a fight on your hand. Are you ready to go all the way with the master? Are you going to jump out of the fight? In first John chapter four, verse five and six, a similar thing is said. They are of the world. Therefore they speak of the world and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So let's stop feeling that, oh, this thing is so hard. How come people hate us? How is it that people don't like us? They want to kill us. They want to do this. They want to do that. That is because you have Christ on the inside. If indeed you have Christ on the inside, that is what they are seeing. And their father, their master, Satan, has turned their hands to fight against you. There is no appeasement that you are going to give that is going to stop that fight. It is a fight you have been born into. It will continue until the day you leave this earth, until the the Lord Jesus Christ returns. So be ready to follow the master all the way. Be ready to carry your cross. Be ready to love the master more than any other thing that you love. It's not saying that you should relinquish your responsibility to your parents or to your family or to your siblings. No, he's saying compared to how much you love these people, the love for him will seem like you hate them. It's not that you hate them, no. But the reality is that as you love the Lord, he will now give you the capacity to love them in a way that does not compete with your love for God. This is the only way you are going to be able to overcome when you are immersed in that fire. Because God will be telling you what to do. I heard the story of a man, a very sad story. The Romans had grabbed this man and had told him to confess that Caesar was Lord and Jesus was not Lord. And the man held his own for three days. Then they brought his daughter and began to torture the girl. And the girl was crying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. The man said, Lord, you know, if it's only me, I will give everything. But because of this poor girl, I have to do what I have to do now. And he renounced the Lord and confessed Caesar as Lord. They released him, but the girl died a few days after. And the question is, if only he had understood that you have to count the cost, that it will cost you the lives of so many other people to serve God. The girl was going to die anyway. The Almighty God will help us to receive understanding and wisdom. So number one, you must die to self and the flesh, its passions and its desires. Your ambitions and all those things must die. Secondly, you must be prayerful at all times because you don't know when it's going to come. Be prayerful at all times. Be ready in the place of prayer. Prayer will strengthen you in the inner man. Thirdly, follow the Lord all the way. You cannot have a half and half following. You are either 100% with the Lord or you are not with him at all. 50% with the Lord will not do. 90% with the Lord will not. Do. 99.9% with the Lord will not do. It has to be 100%. Finally, you must be led by the Holy Spirit. To be able to successfully go through baptism with fire and overcome, you must be led by the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Remember we spoke about the flesh? Walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill it. In verse 17 it says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, that is, the flesh does things contrary to the spirit. And the spirit likewise does things contrary to the flesh. And it says, we are not free from this fight between them. If your love is for God, then follow what the spirit is saying. Every time the spirit tells you to go right, the flesh will say go left. Just note that. It is not possible for the flesh and the spirit to agree. They will never agree. It's like wanting to mix water and oil. It will never work. If you place that combination on fire, you have an explosion and sparks will fly because they will never mix. The spirit and the flesh can never mix. You are either spiritual or you are fleshly. It's as simple as that. It's as straightforward as that. Reading from verse 19 to 25, we see when somebody is in the flesh the kind of things that we will find him doing. 19 says, Now the works of the flesh or the activities of those who are in the flesh are evident. They are clearly seen, which are Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Uncleanness here refers to homosexuality, bestiality, and those other unclean sexual acts. Lewdness talks about the sensuality that is in our dressing, in our messaging, in our speech, and so on and so forth. Sexting is part of lewdness. The way women dress, even in our churches, there's a lot of lewdness in the dressing. And all they tell you is that God is only present in the heart and not dressed. No! God is interested in everything. In verse 20, it says, Idolatry, these are part of the works of the flesh. When the flesh is still alive, its passions and desires, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. So the list continues. It doesn't end here. But these are the kind of things you will find. You find people being covetous. You find people ready to worship anything to get money. You find people manipulating things. They cannot say something straight. They will turn here. They will turn there. They will try to get you to do things. I see that a lot among so many pastors who are trying to fleece the sheep of money. And they start telling lies. If you do it like this, just give. Continue to pay your tithe. Continue to give your offering. No matter how bad the economic situation is, continue to give that. Look, some of those teachings are not right. The motive is wrong. We make it sound as if God is a tax collector. If these people have the Spirit of God in them, they would know. You don't need to force people. You don't need to manipulate people. They know to give an offering. They know that the house of God has to be sustained and maintained. They are not there to maintain your opulence and your ostentation. No, that's not why they are there. They are there to do the work of God. So let's stop mesmerizing people. If we go further down to verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit, when the Spirit of God is working in your life, When the internal activity of the Spirit is taking place. He says these are the results. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You will find these things that love epitomizes the fruit of the Spirit actually. You will love those who hate you. You cannot hate anybody. You will love. But when the flesh is at work, hatred will be the sign. You will have the joy of God in your heart. Even though things are going bad, you still have that joy. The Bible says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You'll be strong against everything. Sometimes when we are cast down, when we are depressed, that is when Satan comes to tempt us and we go and do foolish things. We'll have peace, tranquility in the midst of turmoil. You will know that you know that you know that God is in control. You will not be misled. And then, of course, we've read verse 24 where it says, Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. In verse 25 it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's be led by the Spirit. If we claim to be spiritual, then let's be led by the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through to verse 14, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. When we are led by the spirit of God, we enter into all that God has for us. Because we have not received the spirit of the world, we cannot follow the things of the world. We can only follow the things of God. In verse 1, it says, These things we also speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, Those things that men's wisdom teach, they find them in heaven, not in the church, even though you find them there. There are so many people teaching all kinds of things now, and they call them wisdom, but that's the wisdom of men, not of God. It says, these things we also speak not in words, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Iron is sharpening iron. The Lord just told Nicodemus, I'm telling you of things that are earthly, and you are finding it difficult to understand. What if I tell you of heavenly things? The Holy Spirit here, he said, he will tell us of things that are spiritual. And we can weigh them against spiritual. You weigh it against the scripture, it will stand. But the wisdom of men falls flat in the face of scripture. The wisdom of men is that if you go to school, you have a degree. I'm not saying, I'm not teaching against going to school and having a degree, no. But it teaches that if you go to school and have a degree, you will be renowned. But that is not how God looks at it. Because the Bible says that even the things that be not, God can pick them and use them to confound the wise. Verse 14, says, but the natural man, the man of the flesh, the carnal man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You must be led by the Holy Spirit. So these four things are crucial. You must die to self and the flesh. You must be prayerful, watch and pray at all times. Follow the master all the way, no middle of the road be led at all times by the Holy Spirit because he knows the mind of God. He knows where you should go. And when this happens, you will find some traits that are clearly visible. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 to 12, the Bible tells us that when we face persecution, we should rejoice. So joy is a major trait that you will find When you have these prerequisites, you will find joy. Even in life's challenges, you will find joy. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it says, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We are speaking of a joy that is rooted and founded in the spirit of God. It's a joy that even when sorrowful things are happening around you, that joy is internal. It does not allow you to be so downcast to the point that you can be overwhelmed by life's challenges. It makes you to rebound. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, the Bible says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. It will strengthen you. So that's why the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 5, 10 to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets. Who were before you in Philippians chapter four Paul wrote the letter to Philippians from prison in chains going through suffering yet it was a letter that was filled with so much joy where he kept telling them to rejoice chapter three Philippians chapter seven, finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things to you is not tedious when we come to chapter four of verse 4 it says rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice because that's your strength. That trait gives you the ability to make Satan look small. When he brings something that he expects will shake you. He said, you are having joy. The second trait, when we have this prophesied in our life, is endurance. The ability to endure the challenges of life. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, the Bible says, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You need to endure, you need to persevere. In Romans chapter 5, Verse 3 to 4. The Bible says that we can rejoice in tribulations and trials. We can have joy in those things. Why? It says because tribulation and trials produces perseverance or endurance. When you have joy during your trials, during the baptism with fire, you will see that you're able to endure. That joy builds within you the ability to endure. That endurance produces patience. In James chapter 5 verse 10, Bible tells us, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. In verse 11 it says, Indeed we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Your perseverance will build in you the ability to wait on God, to be patient. In James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Some translations will call it perseverance, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I heard once a preacher telling these congregants that many of you are going to bear the name patience, that you better change that name because that's how you wait and things will be passing you by. The husband you want to marry will pass you by. What kind of crazy teaching is that? What kind of madness is that? Patience is a fruit of the spirit. In fact, the Bible teaches long suffering. So I don't understand what we are doing. That's why many Christians are unable to endure the challenges of life when they come because they don't even have patience to wait. People cannot wait for the outcome of things that God is planning to do in their lives. Finally, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, the Bible says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Your faith, your trust in God enables you to go through it, the baptism, with fire. And come out on the other side far better. Joy, endurance, patience, and faith. They will be there because you have died yourself and the flesh. Because you are praying in the Spirit and allowing God to do things in your life. Because you have devoted yourself to go with the Master all the way. And because you are walking according to the Spirit. Ultimately, to manifest these traits, you must be led by the Spirit of God. There's nothing we can do as believers except by the Spirit of God. These traits, like we've said, they are basically the fruit of the Spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 to 9, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Everything that we need has been given to us by God, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. It's talking of being dead to the flesh. You'll be able to have the nature of God, which is what the Spirit of God puts in us. That's the fruit of the Spirit. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue or excellence or that trait that they will come and not find anything wrong in you. And to virtue, knowledge, the knowledge of God. When you come to know God, you will know that there are some things that you just don't toy with, you don't play with. To knowledge, self-control. That enables you to have the control which the Spirit of God puts in you because you know the God that you are now serving. To self-control, perseverance. The ability to wait. When you have self-control, you're able to wait. You're able to endure things. You're able to persevere. To perseverance, godliness. The ability to live a godly life. When you are persevering, you will not be living anyhow. Your life will be godly. To godliness, brotherly kindness. Kindness to other believers. To brotherly kindness, love. The love for all men now. He says, for if these things are yours and abound, not just they are there, they are there in abundance, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the knowledge of Christ, we have the grace and peace that is multiplied. So as you are bound in that, you will not be unfruitful in that knowledge. And that knowledge continues to increase grace and peace in your life. In verse 9, it says, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. That's why you see a lot of people going back because they have not grown in the things of God. God has given us everything that we need to live a godly life here on the earth. And in giving us what we need to live a godly life on the earth, he has also put in us the ability to overcome when we're immersed in the challenges of life, in the things that would have derailed other people. You see those people who have gone through this thing, coming out on the other side, stronger in their faith towards God, being more resolved to seek after God. By the grace of God, next week, we should be able to hopefully bring us to the close of our discussion on the baptism with fire. Until we meet again, my prayer for you is that you would seek the face of God in the place of prayer, that you would continue to pray and understand that you have to die to yourself and to the flesh on a daily basis. Make up your mind to follow the Lord 100% and be resolved that you will be led by the Holy Spirit henceforth. And the victory over the flesh, over Satan when he brings temptation and other trials and other challenges of life, when they come your way, even when the Lord is testing you, you will see that you will have victory and you will emerge at the other end with your faith in Christ intact and even stronger. Until then, God bless you and goodbye.